0: Can we thank our worship team really quick? Kaylock, Jalen, y'all are awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, all right, y'all can have a seat. I was almost about to do a let's go talk to everybody um, across aisles, learn a name, all those things. We might do that at the end, we'll see. Our introverts are horrified, our extroverts are excited. Um, I think I know most everybody in here, but if we haven't met yet, I am Jonathan uh, Sherbert. My wife, lovely wife, Amanda, who's one of those introverts, may be towards the front row over there somewhere. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Our kids are over in kids ministry as are a good number of kids this morning. Uh, There was a line in check-in this morning, which was very cool. I'm excited that we're under one roof here together. uh, And I'm so sorry that you have to hear me preach Uh, Ron or Zach would have been a much better option, but uh, we'll take it. Uh, So let's do some backstory really quick, and then we're going to get in to Genesis 17. Just in case you missed a week or you've been out, we are following through the life of Abram or Abraham coming in chapter 17. Um, We are journeying on the journey with them. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked through Genesis 15, where God shows up and reaffirms his covenant that he made between Abram. And God himself, there was a vision where the animals were split and God himself walked through the middle of it and still Abram doubted, but God reassured him again. Then we get to 16, uh, strong mistake happens, right? Um, they are like, you told us we were supposed to have a kid. What about Hagar? Uh, let's try that. Let's see if that works. And uh, she becomes pregnant. She has a son, Ishmael, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. And then that brings us to chapter 17, where we're going to be uh, pretty much all the way through. I think I've got about two and a half hours of content. So I hope you got a snack before uh, we got rolling. I'm going to read through the first eight verses, um, and then we're going to unpack just a little bit of it, and we'll be into it. So I know we already prayed, but Father, uh, we're thankful for dividing Your Word this morning. God, let uh, let me have Your words. So you know we pray praying. All God's people said, "Amen." Genesis chapter seventeen, starting in verse one. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, my grandma turned ninety back in September. I can tell you that is a lot of years. Okay, just going to say that out loud. Um, ninety-nine years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, "I am God." Almighty, that's the first time that that word in Hebrew is used in the Bible. We'll talk about that in a little bit later. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many nations in the language there. Father of a multitude is what that name means. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God to be the God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is a massive covenant between God and this now Israelite people. It is a massive, massive part of human history. History, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit as well. But the very, very cool piece of this is this is really the beginning of God working out this redemption story in humanity. God made the garden and it was good. It was good. And then sin entered the garden and it broke relationship between us and God because of sin. He cannot be around sin. He is a holy and perfect God. So sin created this gap. And throughout the rest of human history, before Jesus, God is taking steps back towards redemption. And that is the first piece of what this covenant is. It is the beginning of the redemption story. And it's a really, really big deal in the Christian faith. Chapter 17 is a really big deal. And I think it's also, um, I don't even know what the word is, um, but in the times that we are currently in right now, Israel and Hamas, that we are talking about this covenant between God and Abraham, we'll continue to pack that. So as we look through this, there's gonna be three points that we pull out. And the first one one of those is that there's power in the name. Power in the name. He says, I am God Almighty in verse one. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That is a big task, right? But he still makes the covenant with him. So how did that happen? One, he had already made him righteous in the chapters before because he said he had faith. And because he had faith, he made him righteous. But that word blameless there does not mean sinless in the Hebrew. That word in Hebrew means single-hearted, single single single-focused. What is your sole focus in life? Make it me. It was a call to integrity. Who do you really follow? And what did Abram do in that moment? Boom, fell flat on his face. So as we're even getting started this morning, we're gonna have a question for you guys to think about. What does your personal worship look like? What does personal worship look like for you in your life? Sunday, I love gathering as the gathered body of Christ. I love hearing someone sing what I think it is. If you look at something really, so we're all looking at this table from a little bit different angle, a little bit different perspective. I love when the gathered body of Christ gets together. We get to shine light a little bit on who God is from a little bit of different angles. Maybe we're coming here with completely different weeks. Maybe you've had the best week of your life. Maybe you've had the hardest week of your life. We still can praise God together. And it's beautiful, right? I love that part of it. But there is something that God wants from us outside of this. It's called personal worship. It is so much of what we were created for. It's what we were made for. And when we give him back this kind of worship, maybe it's you waking up early in the morning and getting your Bible. Maybe it's um, praise music. Maybe it is you sitting in silence. Maybe it is you sitting, um, whatever the worship is, is there personal worship happening in your life? Because it was the prerequisite for God's covenant with Abraham. It was the prerequisite. He fell down on his face and God saw and saw in his heart that he was totally surrendered. And then he made the covenant. He, God knows and can see your level of worship. So let's worship him like we were created to worship him, right? So then when that, the covenant happens, I will establish my covenant with you. And then after that, he reaffirms it. And then we go on to verse five. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. The changing of his name was all about identity. All about who you were. Now here's who you are. What does that look like for you? Have you truly experienced the identity change by transforming God? Have you had your identity changed by him? I think there's two ways that that happens. One is one that we call salvation. It's a moment and a place in time where you say, God, I'm gonna fall down on my face in front of you and say that you are God, that Jesus is the only way to you and I am in for that. That's one part of it. So let me ask you a question. If you've never had that step, today could be that day. Today could be that day for you to say, you know what, I believe that Jesus is God's son and I want salvation. That is part of it, of that identity change. It is the part, it's the start, it's the starting line. And then there is something really cool that happens from that point until the day that we're in heaven and it's called sanctification, right? It's this continual transforming of who we are and who God is turning us into. He doesn't want me to leave this earth as Jonathan Sherbert. He wants me to leave this earth as Christ. And it is my part of my job to get on the path towards that every single day, changing my identity to that of Christ. And I cannot do it alone. I cannot do it on my own. It has to be through God's transforming power. But do you have that identity in you? I remember when this happened for me in a big way. I'm going to show you a whole bunch of pictures. There's like eight. So when I was 21, some of my buddies graduated from Clemson University, and we uh, did something, they did something kind of crazy, and I did something even more crazy. They had a friend going to study abroad in Australia. They said, we're going to go hang out with him. And I said, that's awesome. I'm working at the time. And I said, I don't know what my life looks like. I'm gonna buy a one-way ticket and we'll see what happens. So we go to Australia and I found out very quickly that if you have a travel visa and not a work visa, nobody wants to give you a job. And I also found out that if you don't have a work visa, they really don't wanna give you an apartment with more people than there are rooms as well. And I was like, all right, let's figure this thing out. So there was five of us staying in basically a hotel. It was a hostel, but you know, um, a very cheap hotel, and we found this program called WOOF, me and another buddy, Willing Workers on Organic Farms. So we would go work on uh, small farms and become really part of these people's family. And we would work in the morning. We would be out. I served, uh, I like worked on a um, Australian lime farm. You crack it open, there's like little beads of lime juice in them. Delicious. I don't know why they're not over here. Really expensive. Dragon fruit farms, olive groves, Um, And I would become part of these people's families, and it was a ton of fun, but um, I was staying with most of the people, um, like vehemently did not believe in Jesus, or uh, we stayed with a Hebrew lady from Israel who believed in the first half of the Bible, but not the second half, and I had to really decide who my identity was going to look like. Does that make sense? So, I'm gonna show you a couple of pictures. Um, so, this was like part of the house. It's not two pictures. There's a panoramic. So, we would stay. This was on a mango grove. Above this house was a mango grove. So, keep going. We're just gonna roll through that. Those are dragon fruits. Have you ever uh, seen those? They're really expensive in the store here. You slice them open, it's a really delicious fruit. Keep on. This is one of the places that we stayed in. We would go from the best of the best to the weirdest of the weird. This was in a, a greenhouse. I stayed in that RV there is no running water inside of this RV if you look over on the right side the kitchen's outside the shower's outside we were like living in a hot there's no electricity that's one of the places that I stayed keep on keep on rolling here that's the that's the bed we, me and my buddy stayed in it was wild really cool people though okay keep going this is the next week. We have our own private guest suite. Those are not my feet, by the way. Uh, my feet look way cooler than that. But that's the, o- that's the um, ocean outside the window. There's an infinity pool out there. These guys killed it in the stock market in the U.S. and went and basically retired in their 30s in, the, in Australia. They had a kid. Um, and we are basically helping them build their second home with these um, like Australian limes. Keep going. This was just a cut co- that was outside the back of their house. And then this is the beach right down by the house. Absolutely magnificent, really cool adventure. But what I had to figure out was who was I gonna be? What was it gonna look like for me? Was I going to be uh, someone who lived for myself or or were people going to see that identity of Christ in me? And so I started uh, taking my faith from something that I did on Sundays that I grew up in to an everyday relationship. I took my faith from being around church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, my dad was a camp director at a Christian camp. And around Christianity all the time, I took it from that to following Christ with personal worship. And you know what he did? I think I probably did it for the wrong reasons because I wanted people to see, but he began to change everything about who I was. And that has continued to happen throughout points in my journey is he, Are you letting him do that in points of your journey? I remember uh, me and a guy named Owen were in a Bible study called Men's Bible Study. And it was a Bible study where you would do um, like a journal after you read the Bible every day and send it to the group you're in. And I remember one Sunday morning, a random Sunday morning, I'm sitting and I'm writing in my journal and I asked something kind of wild. I said, "Uh, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want to say to me? And I was going to write down whatever I felt like God was telling me to write down after that. And the words that were the very next words were, Jonathan, I always called myself Sherb. My last name is Sherbert. And growing up, um, there was people, hey, Sherb, 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 Sherb. It was my name. That was my internal uh, name in my head. The words were Jonathan, comma, son, I love you. And it broke me. Like in a huge way from an Abram to an Abraham kind of thing. That's the only thing I got. Out of that morning, and I, I, I literally was Sunday morning, and it was really early, and I, it broke me all the way through church. He did something to me, and he wants to do that in your life, time after time. But we have to give him that name change kind of space. Does it make sense? A personal worship kind of space. He did it for Abram to Abraham, and he wants to do it for you. Are you living in the fullness of your identity that God has given you? There's power in. The name, there's power in it. Point number one. Point number two. Uh, we're going to get to in just a second after we read starting in verse nine. Then God said to Abraham, not Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant and all your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. He's making sure he's got it here. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Woo You are to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Did you know? there is a clotting agent that happens in males that is the highest in humanity at eight days old it's like god knew or something like that right uh you must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with your money from a foreigner uh, those who are not your offspring whether you're born in your household or bought with money they must be circumcised my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant any male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Point number two is that there is a pledge of obedience. There's a pledge of obedience. There's power in the name and there's pledge of obedience. The physical sign of circumcision served as a tangible and enduring sign of the covenant reinforcing the faithfulness and the need for obedience and submission on the part of Abraham and his descendants. It also lays the groundwork for deeper spiritual truths that will be revealed in the New Testament. Here's what that sign of the covenant circumcision showed. I'm gonna walk through four things. One, it was a physical and spiritual separation. Now, when I say physical, you're like, what do you? What exactly do you mean there? What does that, how does that play out? Um, it was so ingrained From this point forward in the people of Israel, it was something that they were known the outsiders by. If we know anything about like uh, the Mormons, you know that they uh, may have more than one, you mind know, wife, right? It's like what they're known for. Has anybody actually ever seen it? You don't have to see the sign to know it's a thing of a people group. This is what that physical sign was to them. It was a big part of who they were. No one in Israel didn't do this. It was a massive physical, and then it led to them thinking about the spiritual sign of it as well. Uh, Number two is it, it was a symbol of obedience and submission. It signified the willingness of Abraham and his descendants to submit to God's authority and live in accordance with the covenant. It was obviously, number three, a permanent reminder of the promise. It was a permanent sign that coincided with the permanent covenant that God was offering. This sign was a big deal to God. He said, I am promising a lot. I am asking for that actually in return. And he held his people accountable to it. There's a story you may remember, but I'm going to read it to you. It's in Exodus 4 when Moses is about to go back and set the people free from Pharaoh. So Moses leaves um, Egypt, and he's in Midian for 40 years. Remember, he kills the guy. He takes off running. He marries his wife. He has kids. He's in Midian for 40 years, and then on the way back, he gets his horses, he gets his things, his children come with him, and his wife comes with him. And here is the verses. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met with Moses. feel like it's going to be good, right? Normally it is and was about to kill him, like literally out of nowhere. He had been—he had just given him, here's what you do. He gave him the staff. They get on the horses. They go. They're about to carry out the will of God. And he stopped him in his tracks, and he was furious. He was about to kill him. But Zipporah, who is Moses' wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskins, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said, so the Lord let him alone. Um, At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. He called for bold faith, bold faith. And he said, hey, I'm gonna keep you accountable to it. See, the faith equaled obedience. When we have faith in our life that doesn't equal us obedient to that on the other side of it, do we actually have faith? Faith. So can you see in your life steps, physical evidence steps of bold moves? What would it look like if our church, if our community was marked by bold faith moves? What would Chesney High School look like if a group group of students took it to the next level with their relationship with the Lord? What if people in Drayton Mills neighborhood knew that we were making bold faith moves? from the Lord? What would your workplace look like if you knew, if people knew that you were ready to make a bold faith move for the Lord? Their bold faith move is what he was asking for. Are we ready to live it out? And the fourth thing that it, the sign showed was a preparation for the coming of Christ. It was a groundwork for deeper spiritual truths. It was a foreshadowing uh, of the spiritual circumcision that would come through faith in Christ. God wanted us to be spiritually circumcised. The problem was with everything, the Israelites took it too far and they turned it into legalism. They turned it in not to a sign of the covenant, but a sign of salvation. And it was a good sign for them to keep because the Lord kept it, but it wasn't the final sign. The final sign was that of Jesus coming and giving us that opportunity himself. Colossians 2, 11 through 13 says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith, working in God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. I'm gonna ask it again, because it's coming up in the text. Do you know that kind of saving love? Have you had your heart changed by God? Have you had your heart changed by him? If so, is there physical evidence of obedience in your life? I remember, so I'm in Australia. We do this program called Woofing and we go all the way up the East Coast of Australia, going from basically house to house. It was two days here, four days here, two weeks here, a week here, basically a four month journey up the east coast of Australia, insanely fun, uh, super rewarding, and super fruitful in my relationship with the Lord. And so we started with five guys. We split up. Me and this other guy went up the east coast, and then I came back down to the middle. Absolutely beautiful spot in Australia called Coolangatta. If you're from America, and Coolangatta if you're from Australia. Because uh, if I say Coolangatta, like what city is that? Anyway, so uh, it is beautiful, unbelievable surf, unbelievable weather. Uh, currently again, I'm 21 years old with basically no plan. I have spent no money, not a dime in four months. Um, because I'm going from, they're like shuttling us from place to place, the whole thing. And they're tipping us at the end of each day, basically a hundred bucks or more, uh, each place we stayed. And so I had thousands of dollars saved. Um, and also I had just gotten another tax return from working the year before, before I went to Australia. So I've got all this money and I'm living in, I am sleeping in a hammock on the beach in between two trees. This is my life, where I was when I was uh, in 21. And I would walk off the beach onto the youth hostel where my friends were now working for free breakfast. I don't know. I asked, they said, yes, I wasn't stealing Pinky Promise. Uh, This is where I was showering and had internet. I was like, at the current moment, I felt like as a 21 year old, very, you know, hippie kind of thing happening, but super incredible. I was spending hours, I would wake up, my Bible would be right there on my shoulder. I would spend hours reading the Bible on the beach or in the hammock, The weather was absolutely perfect. And I get an email um, from the camp director um, that I worked at in my summers at North Greenville. It was the camp that I grew up at that my dad was the director of when I was growing up. All that backstory to say, he said, hey, I'm making a job description of a position that would be basically the shepherd or the leader of all of the counselors at camp. And I've got you in mind. I'm not even gonna think about anybody else until you tell me no. And I immediately emailed him back, no. Uh, And it was a very, very quick. And uh, I was like, no, think about my wife right now. It is going, I've got... Everything I need plus more, I mean, literally, the life that I was living, I probably could have lived there for years and not even like gotten a job, whatever. I'm not saying that was the point. It was a lot of fun happening, but I had a choice that had to be made. And I said, no, very, 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 very quickly. And then the Lord ate me up about it. He ate me up. It, I was dreaming about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Every time I would pray, I felt like it would come up and out. And I was like, God, I do not want to go back to like nowhere North Carolina. I mean, it is like five minutes from border. It's pretty, like pretty, but it is not Coolangatta, Australia, right? It is not the friendships that I have currently made. It is not all that. I was like, God, I don't want to go back. I really don't want to go back. But I feel like in that moment, he was saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to be obedient? And I begrudgingly said yes. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. In my life, I go to camp and have the most incredible time ever uh, shepherding these counselors who came to minister to students, right? And then I sent them back off to college in the fall and I was miserable, And I realized that I wanted to do discipleship 12 months out of the year for the the rest of my life. And the only way I knew how to do that was being a youth pastor. And so I interviewed uh, in Inman, South Carolina at Holston Creek Baptist Church, and I got the job. And that was four years there and almost nine years at New Spring. And now here, I meet Amanda um, a year and a half into Holston Creek. How much different would my life be? Would my children be here? Would my wife be here? If I would have said no. I think everything would have been different. I think everything would have been different. And so there'll be moments in your life where he calls you to something and he's asking for obedience. Can we show him physical evidence like the Israelites showed of obedience in our lives? What's that step of obedience for you? What could it be? Maybe it's moving from Anderson to Spartanburg for a job. Maybe it's really, really, really small over a period of time. Maybe obedience is saying no to Netflix at night to read the Bible in the morning. Maybe it's no to something good to say yes to something better. What does physical obedience look like in your life? And can you see it played out? Because I believe on the other side of real faith is that of obedience. Life-changing obedience. Obedience, I believe, is going to equal fruit and disobedience is going to have the wrong kind of fruit and the fruit that is spoiled and sour and bad and has terrible, terrible consequences. When we try to make our own way instead of following God's it, it the, the, the consequences are horrible. Let's go down to 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but you should call her Sarah. I think I called her Sarah at the first time. Sorry, Sarai, Sarai. Now it's Sarah shall be her name, which means princess. Guys, good tip there. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to him, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. The other translation says, oh, my Ishmael, live under your blessing." Between chapter 16 and chapter 17, there had been 13 years that had passed. Ishmael was 13. What has happened in your life in the last 13 years? How much time can you spend in relationship in 13 years? He had raised this boy to be a 13-year-old young man. And he's on now his face, laughing at the Lord saying, I don't know, you can't make this happen. I'm gonna be a hundred. My wife's gonna be 90. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Ishmael? Please, please let me give Ishmael, give Ishmael your blessing. God said in 19, no. But Sarah, your wife shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant and offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Y'all, it's huge. It has implications all over this world right now. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear and will be to you at this time next year. Before he was giving him covenants, he was coming to him in visions and dreams and saying, it will happen. It will happen. Trust me, have faith. It will happen. Now he says, by this time next year, there's a date on it. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you tell your kids about a vacation too early, it is the worst time in between that you've ever had in your life. Hey girls, guess what? We're going to the beach. When are we going to the beach? Next month is gonna be great. What is a month? I don't even know. How do we do this? Abraham does it along the way, right? God comes to him multiple times, and before he tells him a date, he jumps the gun. He said, he promised me a son. I've got to make it happen. I want to make it happen. Hagar comes in the picture. Ishmael is born, and now he's pleading with the Lord, please let Ishmael live in your blessing. God said, no, I had a plan for you in the first place. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, and she will bear him next year. And so from 22 all the way down, it is them following through on this act of circumcision. And it is still present all the way through that covenant and to this day. And so point number three is that there is a path for provision. There is a path that God has for us. He wants to provide even when it seems impossible. Follow his way and don't try to make your own way. He already made the promise, but they didn't wait. And it is got dire, dire consequences. Ishmael brought dissension into their family. As soon as this baby was about to be born, Hagar and Sarai, Get into a fight, as you could probably imagine, right? Ishmael represented the past. The name Isaac means he laughs. Isaac brought laughter into the family, and that's what God's original design was supposed to be. Ishmael represents old, Ishmael represents the way of us making it happen ourselves, Isaac represents the future. Isaac is what he was supposed to hold on to and did not wait for. And the complications of that are drastic. Ishmael has 12 sons. One of them is Kadar. One of his lineage, lineage is Muhammad. Muhammad was the last prophet in the, in the religion of Islam. They are the Palestinian people. Hamas, the word in Hebrew means Violence. This is the break that happens when we choose our own path instead of the path that God has for us. So the people of Islam and the Palestinian people believe that the land that God promised them and all the descendants that God promised them are their rightful inheritance. And the fighting that's currently happening in this world today is because of consequences of this relationship in Abraham, God made a way, but they chose their own path. And because they did, people are currently dying because of it. So what I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking all of us, is there something from our past done to us or we have done ourselves that we are continuing to hold on to just like Abraham was? Oh, he just told him about Isaac. Isaac. He just told him, he laughs is coming. The goodness is coming. And Abraham says, wait a minute, what about the past? Can I hold on to that a little bit? Can I hold on to the way that I tried to make it happen myself? If you have that in your life, pray to the Lord to give you strength to let it go. Let it go. Those words are really, really easy to say and really, really, really hard to do. Maybe there's trauma that has happened in your life. Maybe there is really deep stuff that's down in there that you have done or has been done to you that you're still clinging on to, but the Lord wants you to live in freedom for it because he's got a purpose, he's got a plan. He has provision for you in your life. It's time to follow this. And so if you have that in your life, I'm praying for you even this morning. Can we have the power through God's good will and promises to let it go? And here's how I know it can happen. is because of the way that he came to Abraham. He came to Abraham in verse one and said, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord uh, appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. That word in Hebrew is called El Shaddai. Everybody say El Shaddai. If you grew up in Christianity, you're probably thinking of a song right now. (laughs) the new Christians are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not gonna bust it out. Maybe Kaylock will. I'm just kidding, don't do that. Uh, Lift them, okay, we're done. El Shaddai. This word El Shaddai was the first time that it was used in scripture and it has multiple meanings and connotations of it. One of them means breast, one of them means a mountain that points up, but either way, that meaning of the word is all sufficient and all powerful. That's who God said that he was to Abraham when he came to him. And the beautiful piece and part of that is that that's not the only way that he came to him. He came to him multiple times and said he was multiple things to him. The first time he comes to him after the battle of the four kings happens in chapter 14, God says, I am your shield. I got your back. In times of hardship, in times of battle, he's strong enough to be your shield. Isn't that cool? In chapter 15, he does not take the spoils that happened on the other side of battle. He said, I don't want anything other than God knowing that that he's the one who made me successful. And God came to him in Genesis uh, Genesis 15:1 and says, I am your great reward. That's who he said he was. And in 17, he says, I am all sufficient and I am all powerful. I am El Shaddai. So, no matter the circumstance that you are going through this morning, no matter what position you are in life, no matter the hardship, he wants to be all sufficient and all powerful for you. Now, he calls you to things, he says, live faithfully and blameless single-hearted, a devotion that can't be shaken, a devotion that people look at and see clearly, but he also said, I'm gonna be with you. To the end of the day and the end of the age, all sufficient God, God's way is better. And that's why he is the provider, the path of provision. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 17, we have to make a choice. Do we choose ourselves and our way or God's way? And I'm begging you, let's all choose God's way. Even though I promise it won't always mean roses and sunshine. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's a hard but beautiful promise. His way, no matter, no matter the circumstances, is better. So this morning, is there a spot in your heart? Is there a place for you to choose his way with eyes closed and heads bowed? I wanna ask the question this morning, have you made him Lord of your life? If not, this morning is the morning. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you wanna make Jesus your Lord and Savior this morning for the very first time, would you look up at me? And if you are called by God's name, if you have his identity, is your full identity resting in him this morning? Can we take a moment, search our hearts and ask the Lord where that is and ask him to take us one step further into that new and beautiful identity he has for us. Take a moment and reflect.